What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another NBA Team Look Ahead podcast. We are on to the Denver Nuggets, which means I had to bring back Adam Mades, the VP of Creative Production over at DNVR Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Adam underscore Mades. That's at A-D-A-M underscore M-A-R-E-S. Also, be sure to go follow DNVR. They just do a great job covering all Denver sports, of course, the Nuggets at DNVR underscore sports. He's also the co-host of the Locked on Nuggets podcast, another great podcast. Uh, just does a whole lot and does it super well, fantastically, and I love picking his brain about the Nuggets. And he's he's basically here to talk me off a ledge, hopefully. But my first question to oh, Adam no. is the most important question. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Um, talk you off the ledge. I Man, that, this is going to be a tough challenge for me, I think, today. Yeah, I... I, I kind of wanted to just start with like any general thoughts or themes you had on the offseason, but I find myself being glued to just what's happened in the preseason and like yeah. not a huge sample size, but the defense is concerning me. Um, but let uh, me start with the offseason. Like what yeah. were your thoughts on how they handled it? Any general sentiments, themes that you're focusing on heading into the regular season? Well, the, the theme would be like um, continuity or lack thereof. I mean, in the Jokic era, the team has not made big changes in the offseason. They've been like marginal every year. One, two, maybe three guys mostly on the uh, periphery are, are, are like shuffled in and out. But this is a year where I give people – I've given people this stat, and it's kind of mind-blowing. The last time Jamal Murray played, there was only four current nuggets in the rotation. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray – Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, all the other players, you know, basically the the next six of the top 10 guys are all new pieces from the last time he played. So a lot of that happened this offseason. You lose Tim Conley and you replace him with Calvin Booth. I know that doesn't have an on-court impact, but it is a little bit of a like, you know, it feels like a a different team. And then you make all of the big moves with Monte Morris and Will Barton and everything else. So to me, the theme of this year is, Obviously, regrouping, coming back with Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, title or bust, all of those things. But the secondary thing is that there's not a lot of continuity this year from previous seasons. Uh, I was a big fan of some of the moves they made, like Bruce Brown specifically um, being able to get KCP. I thought that was kind of like a both sides did well trade. Um, but Jamal Murray, there's just no, really not a lot of sample size to work with. But knowing what's happened in practice, the stuff coming out of training camp, what have been your impressions of his return and should we expect any, you know, ramp up or, or maintenance program for him this season? So I think he looks really healthy. You know, one of the things you're wondering about is do they run? Do they jump? Um, are they going to the hole? Or are they trying to avoid contact? And Jamal Murray hasn't looked like that at all. He's looked healthy. There's no limp or anything like that or, or favors one side. So to me, when you watch him, he doesn't look injured in any way. I do think he looks um, preseason form, not midseason form. And this is, I don't know how much of this is just coming back from the injury and how much of this is cl- typical Jamal. I know you follow the team close enough to know Jamal Murray usually gets off to slow starts and then finishes the season strong and then is great in the playoffs. Maybe it's just that, but I would say he looks perfectly healthy. He just doesn't look like he is in tip top speed and shape. And that's just like knowing what we know about him too and his work ethic off, work ethic off the court. He's also young. That's just, I can't bring myself to worry about him. At all, long-term. Michael Porter Jr., on the other hand, um, Mm -hmm. I find myself a little bit more worried about. 
Um, the back stuff could be chronic, but then also sometimes he looks like the perfect fit that could basically help the Nuggets transcend all these other contenders. And then other times he just looks out of place or unwilling or just, I don't know, weird. What are you looking to see from him this season aside from hopefully better availability? So, I mean, again, we'll have to start with the health part of this. I think he looks healthy. There's nothing he's doing or not doing that remind you of an injury or that he's coming off of an injury. So that's the first thing. He tacks the basket. He takes falls and gets right up. Like, he looks perfectly fine to me. But what's funny about Michael Porter, the skill set is very loud and very obvious. He's a great shooter. And he's a pretty good scorer, even though he's not, like, the most dynamic scorer, you know, has a great handle or this or that. But he just scores. He's a natural scorer. The question for Michael Porter has always been, can he mesh with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic? Can he figure out a way to – can he like sort of accept a role and can the team find a role that takes advantage of all of his skills in a way that blends perfectly with the other guys? And what's hard about this preseason, and I imagine part of why you've been a little bit gun-shy, what was the word you used? You're in a panic uh, or something about him? You're on the ledge. Yeah. Basically, I'm on the ledge about this entire team right now. More yeah. so, I went on DMVR, one of your podcasts, and I said, I'm right now, this might have been August, whatever it was, right. the Nuggets would be my title pick. And now I'm like, you know, maybe I need to consider my options. <laughs> here. You need to hedge it. Um, I think the thing is that they've only played one half together in this preseason. You know, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter, they've only been on the court together for like 12 minutes total. And, you know, so we're looking at a really small sample size and, and, we knew that that was going to take a lot of time to get together and the defensive part, whatever, let's put that to the side. I know we're going to talk about that later on. To me, if you buy the nuggets, you buy that those three guys create this offensive lineup that's unsolvable and it's unsolvable in terms of talent. It's unsolvable in terms of, in terms of all the guys that can score in the different ways they can score. But Michael Porter is just a guy that is still trying to develop chemistry with Jokic, with Murray and there does, even in that first half, there was a little bit of a sense of your turn, my turn. Like, where do I fit into this? Is this a shot in the rhythm? And that, to me, is the number one thing I'm looking at with Michael Porter. Can can the Nuggets get the most out of him because he starts to blend chemistry-wise with the rest of the guys? This is – I had it later, but this sort of ties into that. Is a way to help alleviate that maybe to stagger him more from those two and have him in these bench-heavy units? And I, I think you would just cover this on one of your pods. He and Bones Highland want to play more. Together, right. Like. right. I think so. And that's part of what's funny is Michael Porter. If you remember Michael Porter joins the team, they're in the bubble playoffs. And I remember one post game, I mean, Murray Jokic, they just came back from three, one against the jazz. They're against the, the Clippers. And Michael Porter said something about like, yeah, we need the offense to have a little bit more me or something. He had some, some quote and you're just kind of like, man, this guy's not afraid to like, just say Which what I, he actually I thinks. kind of respect. <laughs> yeah. It's true, man. Like this guy is just not afraid to kind of voice it. So the other day after the game, he said something to, I like, we need to find more minutes for me and Bones. Bones obviously captains the bench. We need to find more minutes there because he understands the difficult shots I can take and make. And it's kind of a funny quote when you think of it word for word, but I actually agree with him. I do think that there is a Michael Porter that can fit better alongside Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and take a step back from maybe his peak to fit into the broader system, the greater the good. But I also think you can have him play with Bones in a second unit that needs a little bit more scoring and allow him to expand his role a little bit and be a number one isolation scorer type type guy for half the game. So to me, I do think that's the best way. I don't know if we're going to arrive there, though, Dan. Michael Malone likes to play five-man starters, five-man bench lineups a lot. 
And it, it would be unique for him to stagger Michael Porter the amount that we're kind of talking about right now. Is there like any wiggle room for him to get away from that with Michael Malone, with this team, those be- really just super bench-heavy lineups? I wonder why he has this philosophy. I asked him about it one time, and he denied it. <laughs> like, like all that's <laughs> And I'm like, well, if we look at the five-man lineup, you know, minute totals every year across the NBA, the Nuggets are always in the top five. Like, you can have injuries. It doesn't matter. You're going to find some lineup that Michael Malone plays, you know, heavy, heavy minutes. Um, The answer, I I just wouldn't expect it. Coaches have tendencies and certain things that you just know become part of their core. I wouldn't expect him to change things too much. One thing I will say, if they are going to stagger, if he was willing to open it up, there might be a natural inclination to be, oh, we need to see more Jokic with the bench or Jamal Murray with the bench. I'm just, they played 80% of Jamal Murray's possessions together the season that he got injured. And I just, when they play, they ascend to like a higher dimension. It's basketball nirvana. And just from an aesthetics perspective, I kind of want to separate those two as minimally as possible. And so I would just I try agree. to throw MPJ with the bench, like bench or heavy lineups. I, and I would even throw Aaron Gordon in this. I mean, Aaron Gordon and Jokic have developed a very nice chemistry and they're kind of, you know, Aaron Gordon does a lot defensively and then he cuts and he doesn't need touches and this or that. So to me, Murray, Jokic, Gordon, Keep those guys together as much as possible. I think the other two spots to me are more interchangeable. KCP, Michael Porter, they're obviously great fits, but I think those are guys that you could put with that second unit and you could bring in other guys, you know, from the second unit, a Jeff Green, uh, Bruce Brown, maybe Christian Brown. Those are guys I think you could plug into the first lineup and they and they fit with Jokic and Murray just as well. So to me, this is it's one of those funny things where we're early in the season and we can already see it looks like the solution to um, some of the obstacles for the Nuggets just require Michael Malone to do um, atypical things for him. Nicole Jokic, to me, has reached a level of superstardom where I just don't have questions about him, but it's a Nuggets podcast, and how do you not ask specifically about Nicole Jokic? I just, he makes, there's just no spicy take anymore for me. I even was thinking True. he might be one of the most underrated crunch time guys in NBA history, yeah. and that's just, that just doesn't even feel hyperbolic anymore. Um, but the national narrative, at least in some sectors of basketball intelligentsia is you can't win a title with him as your central focus because of the defensive limitations. I think a lot of his limitations are misunderstood, but I do also think there's something to, can you surround him with enough guys who can help out behind or be aggressive in front of him? Do you think, do you one buy into that concern? And two, with the additions of Brown, KZP, you have Gordon, even Davon Reed just sort of floating around here. Uh, do you, do you think that the nuggets have done enough um, to surround him with the, the necessary defensive talent to be in that, tier one of title contention i think this is a really interesting question and one that there's a lot of different ways i can take this i'll say this i do buy into the concern there's no question that for me if you ask me like is a Jokic led team good enough offensively to win a title it's like come on of course it is like it's one of the best off almost any combination of players you put out there is one of the best combinations in the nba at any given year so no question is it you know defensively well we just have never seen it so it's a fair question to ask one thing I'll say to kind of preface this, I think most NBA analysts and most NBA fans make the game simultaneously more complex than it is and more simple than it is. More, more simple in this one way. Everybody thinks of like your big needs to be Clint Capella. Just block shots, rebound, roll to the rim. Who cares about skill set, this or that? And part of that is because there's tried and tested, like that's the most common mold of center, just rim rolling, shot blocking big. And so it's easier to piece these puzzle pieces together. We've never seen a Jokic. 
So to envision a way for a Jokic to win requires a sense of creativity that we haven't seen. And I think people think, oh, well, we've never seen it. Ergo, it can't happen. To me, that's not a correct logical leap, even if I understand why they have those questions. I am curious. This is the best team that the Denver Nuggets have ever had in terms of on-ball containment, keeping people out of the paint. And Jokic is really good whenever you provide him that. When He's very good positionally. He reads the court well defensively. He communicates well. So can you just keep it so that guys aren't running downhill? I think Denver has enough talent to do that, but we haven't seen it because Jokic hurt his wrist in game number one. We just haven't seen it come to fruition at all. We haven't seen Jokic with this group of characters yet, even in the, as a little sample. Uh, are we at all concerned about that wrist injury, by the way, or is it just very precautionary at this point? Uh, I think it's precautionary. He was doing workouts before the game yesterday, and he was shooting without a brace and making them and, and doing some stuff, but – Nonetheless, you know, Jokic has been an Ironman. He hasn't really hurt himself. He did injure the wrist last year and just played through it. So maybe it's the same injury and maybe it's going to be the same result. Okay, maybe he shoots fewer threes this year or something, but we don't really talk about it at any point. But the fact of the matter is this team has not won games without Jokic in the last seven years. I think you could count on one hand the total number of games they've won without Jokic uh, in seven seasons. So if he were to miss even just a two-week period – especially with Murray and Porter coming back, it, it would be a pretty big deal. I think it's kind of a big deal that he's missing so much of camp because you wanted to get at least a few practice reps of all of these guys on the court together. There's two games left. Maybe we get him then. But um, so I would say I'm not cons- like panicked about it, but it definitely is a thing that could affect the season in a major way. I will say I was more dismissive of the defensive concerns than you just were like leading into before training camp, because you look at the minutes that Murray MPJ and Jokic played together in 2020, 2021, they were in like this, that those lineups from the 70th percentile of defensive efficiency. And like, maybe that doesn't translate perfectly to the playoffs. There might've been some, there was some opponent shooting luck there, but they weren't fouling. They forced a good number of turnovers, which Jokic can be sneaky at doing himself. Right. So I was a believer and I know that he is not factored into this, but do you have any concerns about what's happened defensively, in the preseason like what is going on there is there any symptom is it just a a newness or an effort thing or is there something more sinister at play here i think they were good defensively last night now they're missing their entire starting lineup minus michael porter jr um michael malone had a funny line pregame he said i feel like we've had all good days of camp minus two the two games the two preseason games meaning he feels like what they've seen in the games has not been reflective of what they've seen in camp um i'm not too concerned about it to be honest i think If I look at this team, coaches are always working on defense in the preseason. Defense wins championships. we got to build our defensive identity. Mm. I think that with Murray and Porter both coming back, it's probably natural that in Bones making a a step up and this or that, I think most guys have just been focused on, like, I want to see if I can do this again offensively. Nobody wants to be like, I want to show the team I'm back by rotating on defense and doing this. So to me, I think that there's a level of, hey, I want to show everybody I've got it back. I'm going to hit the shots I used to hit. Um, and then on top of that, we've seen like 15 real minutes of this team in the preseason. So I'm going to say it doesn't really matter, but again, if we get into five games of the season and it looks the way it did in the preseason, then hundred percent, all, all bets are off. I will say that makes me feel a little bit better. So, um, that, that's, that's consolation. To me. <laughs> One step back from the ledge. Yeah. Maybe like a half step. Um, so you mentioned Taron Gordon and he's always fascinated me because I feel like he's never been fully optimized on both ends of the floor. Uh, Orlando tested him for the Paul George gene on offense and came back negative. Um, he, didn't, he hasn't had the freedom to be the same type of play finisher that he should be in yeah. Denver, even though he's done a lot more of that. 
Um, and then you look at the load he had to carry defensively last year. I just don't even think people gave that like enough attention. Um, is this specific roster, when you look at some of the defenders they added, and then now you have MPJ and Murray, hopefully, you know, combining to play a bunch of games. Uh, is this like roster, the best suited roster he's ever been on? Do you think that this, we're going to see the fully optimized version of Aaron Gordon? And my follow-up question to that is, I did see him. I watched a lot of the, the Chicago game and he had spent um, more reps than I guess I thought, like on DeMar DeRozan. Is there like, are we going to see his defensive role change at all? The way maybe there might be some more roaming or aggression there from him. I mean, I would hope so. DeMar DeRozan's a funny one. Um, and again, I wish Denver would have been fully healthy for that game because I would have loved to have seen the different matchups that you would have rolled out there. Is that DeMar DeRozan is the type of guy that I think he is not good against. Uh, groundbound but crafty guy. I think Aaron Gordon's good when he has to like match up physical attributes on on, on another player. I mean, he's guarded quick players well, um, brute force players. DeMar DeRozan's just so crafty. Aaron Gordon's good about, as athletic as he is, he's good about playing defense without like jumping. And if you're a player like DeRozan and you know a guy's not going to jump to try to block your shot, then you just use your footwork to get around them and shoot the, shoot the right shots. Um, I think Aaron, I like Aaron Gordon. I think he is um, a much better role player than people get. I think people look at him as a bad star. He's a great role player. And he's been asked even in Denver to go outside of his lanes a little bit. But if you look at the two seasons in Denver, they've been career years from offensive efficiency. And I expect that to go up even more this year. When I tell people he's going to have a career year, not in per game totals. I just think he's going to be hyper efficient and hyper impactful. Um, he's smart. He knows his role. He seems to be very willing to play the like fourth or fifth option on offense, which is not He's good enough to be, let's say, a third option on offense, but he's comfortable being the fifth option. So that's a that's a rare thing. We always talk about guys that are a first option having to be a second. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard for a guy for, to go from third to fifth, and he's so willing to do that uh, and has the skill set to do it. So I expect big things from him. And then defensively, I think he's going to get the matchups that are most favorable to him this year, whereas last year he just had to guard everyone, whether he was capable of guarding them or not. What are you watching most closely for Bones Highland in year two? Someone who we both, well, I'm drunk on Bones Highland, but I know that you're high on him <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's tough. You know, coming into the season, you just wanted to see, like, could he continue to grow as a scorer and this or that? Watching the way the second unit played is out now, Bruce Bones, Davon Reed, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan. He's the best scorer and the best creator, and I think that's a tough combo. I would love for him, and I think the Nuggets are going to be best if he can be scorer first, playmaker second. And that probably means finding a little bit more spacing or a secondary ball handler. Maybe it's Ish Smith who had a great game last night to play alongside him. Um, but that's so now if you asked me this a week ago, I had a different answer. Now it's can he blend, not even blend, can he become the playmaker the second unit needs that Monte Morris was so good at being? Can he be that while also being a 15-point-per-game scorer, which to me is his best skill and the most value he could bring to the Nuggets? That's a really big ask for a second-year player. Um, and if not, what can Denver do to make him to allow him to be that attack scorer who goes off for 25, 30 points every now and then and completely flips games? Yeah, I was impressed with him as a rookie with some of the, like a lot of the live dribble passes that he made, but I do wonder if it's too heavy of a lift when, if you're going to run just all bench units and it's, it's just him. And I think I didn't really think about it this way. If you did surround him with just four shooters and at least gave him the space to operate to where it's more reactive passes he would be making rather than instinctual or like those complicated right. reads, like, I guess that would help him out. I agree. 
And it's almost like, I mean, like a Jalen Brunson type or something where if you spread things out, he's so quick, he's so dynamic, he could shoot, he can get to the rim, that, yeah, he would do that. But you don't have that great spacing. You have different – you have a second unit that needs a lot of help. They need someone to set the table for them a lot. So now he has to focus on that while also doing his best skill, which is score, and that's where I see it being a tough ask. You're almost asking him to be Chris Paul with the second unit, which is not him. You want to ask him to be a little bit more of an attack guy who can play make at a very high level when his mind is on score and he just reads the court. The Zeke Najee buzz has been loud coming out of Nuggets training camp. What is behind that and why did it seemingly take so long for him to get, quote, heavy minutes in the preseason then? This one I wish I could answer for you because it's weird. I've seen so many people talking about him. So I know like – you know, the coaching staff front office, they're pumping him up. You go to training camp, you know, you're talking to him. They're saying, hey, he's been looking good. He's been looking good. He's not playing a ton of minutes right now. He looks like he's the 11th guy in this rotation. And then you watch him in preseason. He's been good, but not great. It's not that he's been bad. It's just when you hear hype, you start to think, okay, this guy can't wait to see what he's at. He looks like the same player. Um, so I, I couldn't tell that. I couldn't tell you the answer to that. And then the worst part is, I think the toughest part is, I'm not sure where he fits into this rotation because he's clearly not a starter, right? Denver mm -hmm. starters are solid. So you go to the second unit, your three, four, five are at the moment, Davon Reed, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan. Well, he doesn't replace Davon Reed as a small forward. And I don't think he replaces Jeff Green or bumps Jeff Green to small forward since Jeff Green has, for the last 10 years, has been better at power forward than small forward. So you don't bump him to do that. And he's not necessarily a great center because he's not – Tall enough, doesn't jump high enough, doesn't rebound well enough, doesn't yeah, the, defend well enough. The minutes so with him really at center, they got slaughtered on the glass. Last year. Sorry, I'm just saying the minutes with him at center last year, they got slaughtered on the glass. When I looked it up, I just couldn't. It looked the numbers were worse than it even looked. And and I and that's the thing is you know he added this weight, he added it you know three or four inches to his vertical in the offseason. All this stuff was highly reported, and I just don't know if it makes the difference. So I think Zeke is one of those guys who I like his skill set, but I don't know where he slots into Denver. And that reflects in the minutes in the pre. I know it's just preseason, but would I expect Zeke Naji to play on opening night if, if, if we went straight into opening night tomorrow? I would say probably not. And that's and so I can't figure out why the hype is there. And then he's at this moment doesn't appear to be in the rotation. Is his best path to being in the rotation either at the four or usurping DeAndre Jordan as the primary backup five? I'm guessing at the five, and if we read between the lines here, Michael Malone has had very weird comments over the last five, six months. At the end of the season, he said, you know, Zeke Naji, uh, we tried to make him a five. He's a four. Then come into the season, Zeke's a five. And you're thinking, like, why are you changing the story on us? Probably because you're doing the same thing. Michael Malone's doing the same thing we are, which is trying to figure out where is he best going to fit. And, yes, he's better as a four, but his minutes are more available at the five but then he's not quite a five. So I think he's in a tough spot. I worry about Zeke this year because I think he's a good player and I just don't see the natural best path for both him and the Nuggets. I wonder if that's like why the hype is so high is the organization trying to build him up amid, like amidst all this ambiguity behind his role. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea, man. I It all, almost will be get to the point where I'm going to start wondering, are they trying to trade him? <laughs> Do they want everybody <laughs> writing hard so that they can get a little bit more out of him? <laughs> Uh, you mentioned Davon Reed being in the rotation. Uh, do you see him having a bigger role or I guess a more regular role this year? And do you buy into his just the ability he showed last year against some of those like bigger like wing matchups defensively? I don't know. I mean, he's another guy that I don't think should be penciled in for, 
you know, where, where does he fit exactly? I'm not exactly sure. He's a guy that he, his best thing he has going for him is the opposite of Zeke Naji. There's nobody in his spot. Backup small forward right now is an open, you know, there's an open position. I think he's battling Christian Brown, maybe Vlatko Chanchar, guys that are just like him, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't assume are going to take that spot. Davon's an interesting one. I don't know what he's great at. He can shoot the ball okay. He's got a great wingspan, so he has this upside as a defender, but I don't think he's a great defender. He's not a great like dribble drive creator or passer. So I'm not really sure. I think he's going to start the season in that spot, but I would be shocked if he finished the season in that spot. And I'd be shocked if the Nuggets counted on him as a top 10 playoff guy uh, when, when it came time for that. I always would have asked you for your impressions of Christian um, Brown and Peyton Watson, but I was reading Zach Lowe's tears while I was doing like right before I did the hour for you. And he just slipped in. Christian Brown is ready. Yeah. Um, Can you, I know very little about either of these guys. Can you give me the lowdown here, please? I I don't think Christian Brown's ready. (laughs) That would be my response to that line. Um, He shot horribly in the, in summer league. And the worst is it looked like he lost some confidence there. As a 3 and D player, if you don't have the three part, you know, you're just a defensive player, obviously. And then in the preseason, I would say the same thing. Now, last night he bounced back a little bit. I think he went three of five, one of one from the three-point line. Um, I think he's a really fundamentally sound player, but he's got to have that shot going for him to break into the rotation. I'll say this. If you ask me who at the end of the year is in the rotation, Davon Reed or him, I would bet on him. And if you ask me oh, wow. at the end of the year who was in the rotation, Christian Brown or Zeke Naji. I think I would take Christian Brown. And a large part of that is because I just think there's a, there's a vacancy. There's this position of need there. Whereas with Zeke Naji, it's a little bit less urgent. Wow. All right. So, I mean, that's close to Christian Brown being ready. ready well, he's not ready. They just need him to be ready. Uh, is there an underrated strength about this team that's not being discussed enough? They're really long. I think that's, that's probably one thing. If you look at Jamal Murray and KCP, both guys 6'5 with good wingspans, good strength. That's pretty good for a backcourt. And then you go Michael Porter, 6'11. You know, Aaron Gordon, 6'9, but but big and, and, and long. And then Jokic, seven feet. So to me, that would be it is that that starting lineup is um, probably a top seven or eight longest starting lineup and functionally long. They're not just like long and awkward. They're long and mobile and versatile and can switch. So I think that's one thing that the Nuggets haven't actually had in the Jokic era. And I think it's a thing that will stick out the more they play together. How do you, if you try to, for example, you try to switch just an off ball screen with, you know, KCP and Aaron Gordon, a two, four exchange on the weak side happens all the time. If you try to switch that Aaron Gordon has a shooting guard on him. That's a rebounding mismatch. That's a post-up mismatch. Yeah. So I just think there's a lot of the same goes for Michael Porter. Do you, you, you have a small forward you like, but he's only six, five where you're starting five, six inches too short on a great three point shooter. So I think Denver's just going to look really tall a lot this season. Do you have any sense of how well Bruce Brown will fit in? I think KCP is more just a given. And Bruce yeah. Brown, just because his offense is idiopathic and, and so unique, do you see him like being any issues early on to try and figure that fit out? I do. Um, and I think he fits great with the starting unit. And I don't think he fits as great with the second unit. And that's part of my concern. We talked earlier about staggers. If you just look at that second unit, he's the second guard alongside Bones. Well, is he an on-ball creator that you can run at point? I don't think so. I think he's a good connector. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that can keep a continuity offense going. But if you're asking him to like initiate the offense, I think teams will start pressuring him, and I think that those possessions won't go well. So um, 
that would be my concern. But I love Bruce Brown. And when you start to think about what works in the regular season versus the postseason, Bruce Brown to me is a guy that unlocks a lot of Denver's potential in the postseason. Uh, hopefully Mike Malone, Michael Malone is willing to experiment with some lineups there then, though, if, if you need him to stagger and play more with the starters. You would hope. I mean, Michael Malone might just give it 10 games and then start to experiment. I mean, we'll see. But Bruce Brown, to me, is a guy that Mike – if all the guys – Bruce Brown is a Michael Malone guy, so I suspect that he's going to get a lot of minutes and a lot of opportunity. Look, he'll be dynamite. If he ends up shooting on wide open threes, what he did last year, um, even if the volume remains the same, it's not super high. That ends up being just like an absolute dynamite pickup for them. Uh, Are there, we've talked about some of the concerns already, but are there any other concerns about this roster team that aren't getting enough attention heading into the regular season? Um, I really think the whole season comes down to two things. One, can they defend, which, you know, everybody kind of knows that. And then the other thing is just the integration of Michael Porter. I think everybody looks at this talent skill set and just, adds that on top of what you get already from a Jokic team, but it's more complex than that. Can he find a role that he likes and that fits into me? It's just going to be a fascinating and complex story that will require a lot of nuance to tell, to be honest with you. And I, and it's one of those things that I think there will be a lot of perspectives on Denver this year that I think missed the mark because you'll be painting with broad strokes when this is really a chemistry amongst personalities and skill set story. When I was looking at this team's 10-man rotation, it feels like there are eight locks in Murray, KCP, MPJ, Gordon, Jokic, Highland, Brown, and Jeff Green. Would you agree with those locks, and how do you see the final two spots being fleshed out for, let's say, most of the season? I know you said you could see Christian Brown kind of being in there by the end, but I guess for most of the season. I think DeAndre Jordan plays opening night and plays a lot of minutes, and I think that's one of the big surprises Davon, I think that other spot is going to come down to a lot of like tinkering. And some of this will be handled by injuries. But Ish Smith has had a very good preseason and very good camp. Did they try to play him? We talked about Bones not being the primary ball handler, focus more on, on scoring. Is the solution that Ish Smith just plays? He's just your backup point guard and Bones Highlands, your backup shooting guard that plays a lot of pick and roll. I kind of think that might be the solution. Then Bruce Brown slides to three and then you have Jeff Green. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was it. And then lastly, I wouldn't be surprised if Denver was an aggressive trade line team or trade deadline team where they look at this and they say, okay, we have eight guys, but we need to try to find this or this. And we'll have to depart with one of our top eight. And we'll have to depart with guys like a Zeke Naji and, and maybe even a uh, Christian Brown or something like that in order to shore up an immediate need at small forward or center or whatever. Yeah, it'd be weird to try and pump up Zeke Naji's stock and then not play him to try and then trade him would, would be a little bit counterintuitive. And I was actually going to ask that if you saw that, if you thought this organization was willing to sort of shift on a whim again, even if it's a slow start, do you at least see the coaching staff being open to like manipulating with some of the lineup combinations? Then if they start off like, I don't know, like three and like, I mean, even three and five or three and six would be like a pretty five alarm fire for a team that's supposed to be this good. I mean, there's no question. Denver can't afford to fall too far behind out West. Um, Too much uncertainty with health, you know, so you don't want to fall behind. I do expect Michael Malone would be willing to make big changes like that. And I think the organization, you kind of hinted at this, Calvin Booth, I think the whole organization knows it's go time. So if they feel like something's not working, I think they'll make moves. But the thing is, is the big question mark for me is Michael Porter. And he's not really a guy you can move on for. Not, Not a guy I think they want to, but he's also a guy you can't. So for me, it's more of the tinkering will probably be more about him and where does he fit and how do you play when he's on the court and how do you try to find shots for him than anything. But um, 
you know, as far as lineup combinations, it would be more of that, the stagger. I don't see anybody entering the starting lineup. The five, I think I would be shocked if that wasn't the starting lineup by the end of the year. Uh, this is to some extent matchup dependent, but what do you think should be their go-to closing unit? Is it just the starting five or do you see the potential for futzing and fiddling there? Lots of potential. And part of it's part of why I'm high on the team. And again, talking about why we were high, not the obstacles to get there, but why we're high on the team. If you need a defensive lineup and it's not working with Michael Porter, as I suspect is a very good chance. I think you just put Bruce Brown in there and you have the best defensive lineup of the Okich era by a mile. Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic. That's a very switchable, I think very smart lineup that has still the proper amount of spacing, playmaking, high IQ, all of those types of things. If you want a little bit more offense in a closing lineup, say you're down eight in the final five minutes and it's, you know, defense isn't quite the priority. You need to make up points. Maybe you put Bones Highland alongside Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon. And that lineup should score every time down court, really put pressure on other teams to keep pace. So, I, and then you have Jeff Green, who, by the way, is a sneaky great Jokic player. He had a career year last year at 34 years old in dunks. Uh, he just, <laughs> Jokic loves tall guys that are good at attacking mismatches. I mentioned earlier Aaron Gordon, how they're a tall team you don't want to switch on. Jeff Green can be added to that mix in some configuration. Maybe it's not with Michael Porter, maybe it's not with Aaron Gordon, but you put him out there, and he's just another guy that. Are you going to switch Devin Booker onto Jeff Green? Jeff Green's too big. He's really good at using that extra four inches and 40 pounds. He's very good at using that to his advantage. And Denver can just throw a lot of different combinations out to close games that, in my opinion, solve every offensive problem that you could throw at them. And then they have some defensive lineups that, at least in theory, give them the best chance at being a good defensive group in the clutch. Are th is there any weirdo, bonkers, quirky, or just off-the-beaten-path lineup you're hoping that Michael Malone might roll out this season? The one I just told you is the most fun. Murray, Bones, Porter, you know, Gordon, Jokic. It's just because it's like a fun line. Like I always, when you think about regular season, you just think of what would happen if you put your best offensive lineup on the court. Forget defense. Could you win a court? Could you win a, like, five-minute stretch, 30 to 15, just because you scored every time down the court? I think that's one that you probably could. I mean, Bones, Murray, is there a better five-man lineup you could put out in the NBA this year? I bet we could sit and think about one, maybe one or two, but Bones, Murray, KCP, MPJ, Jokic, you're talking about four 40% three-point shooters, two elite pick-and-roll play players, and you know, then obviously Jokic. To me, that's like a lineup that they're not going to guard anyone, but my God, would they score every time down court, two or three points every time, every single time down. Yeah, I'm. I don't. I can't even think of a team that could feel the more potent one off the top of my head. Like just to even try and brainstorm it quickly, that would be. I would love to see that lineup. Like, and even if you need to throw Aaron Gordon in for KCP because you think you're getting a defensive right. upgrade there, um, I would. I would love to to see that lineup. I I really kind of want to see more Michael Porter Jr. with the bench just to see how it goes. Where it's Michael Porter Jr. Bones, um, you know, Bruce Brown, and then. I would, I would prefer to see Najee in there just for the shooting as well, and yeah. then maybe even Jeff Green. I don't know if you're too small, what the rebounding looks like there. Yeah, why I mean, not try it? Yeah, why not, why not just throw it out there and see what happens? As we record this, their win total over-under has moved up to 50.5. I think it was at like 49.5 initially. Would you smash the over or the under on that, and where do you see them stacking up in the regular season relative to the, the rest of the West? I think they're going to be good in the regular season. I mean, if you have Jokic, you're just winning a lot of games. They have a lot of different ways to beat you. If Michael Porter has to sit out a night, if, if 
Jamal Murray has to sit out a night. I still think they're going to win at like a 46, 47 win clip. I mean, they just have that much talent. So to me, I think they're built to survive the regular season and then they're going to have to adjust. And they have those seven or eight guys that I really trust to play in the playoffs. And they'll have to maybe adjust a little bit that way. But I, 50 and a half, I, I'm taking the over. The Nuggets, by the way, have been over, I think, in six of the seven years of the Jokic era. So holy shit, I did not know that. Sometimes I, some, and I think the year they weren't was the bubble year, and I think they went zero and eight in those regular season games that ramped up, and that was the only reason they went under is because they lost all eight of those tune-ups. Um, so I think that the Nuggets, I feel weird always taking them to go over, but it's always right. So I, I think the, I'm not saying they're going to win, you know, fifty-eight games or anything like that, but fifty and a half, I think fifty-one is is more likely than not. I did my record projections, this YouTube like short off the cup rep record projections because I was smashing every single over during these look ahead podcasts and I've done 20 plus of them now. So I had the Nuggets ending up with the best record in the NBA. So clearly I'm smashing the over on that. I am curious. I see them like I think their regular season floor is just so high. Are there any particular team matchups when you look at the postseason that with this roster as currently constructed would concern you? And the thing just to, that I would add to the over under Last year's team with Jokic won 48 games. And so I, I keep going back like, well, how much will Murray and MPJ play? What would they look like to start? And it's just like, it amounts to an upgrade overall yeah. over the supporting cast that he had last year. How would they not clear 50? No question about it. Um, the matchups, Golden State. <laughs> I think Golden State and Phoenix are the two teams. I mean, you're talking about how do you beat Jokic and Jokic teams in the playoffs? You just put them in pick and roll over and over and over and over again. And then you hope to have the enough defense, you know, unlike a Portland team who also did that, but they couldn't guard anyone. Mm-hmm. You have just a little bit of defense and then an elite pick and roll offense, then you can kill them. And that's what those two teams did. The other teams that are maybe capable of that, maybe you could say a Dallas, but I think Denver is more equipped to handle a, a guy like Luca than a guy like Steph or a guy like. I'm uh, also, I'm out on Dallas this season, if you care in any way. Okay. So I wouldn't <laughs> there you go. Right with them. Uh, I so I'll go ahead and say that. Phoenix, Phoenix and Golden State, to me, are the two teams that I think make the, the toughest challenge for Denver. What did, where do you land on the Clippers with that? Is it just the Nuggets could kind of brutalize them with so much size and length that it really wouldn't be that bad of a matchup, even if they decide to roll super small? People laugh. I mean, I know you're a guy that's on this, but Jokic is not a bad defender. He's just really bad at one thing. If you don't run that one thing, if your thing is not spreading you out, running pick and roll and pulling up from mid-range and threes – if you do anything else, Jokic is a good defender, and in some cases, very good defender. So if you're trying to attack Jokic with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, go for it. Like, Jokic's going to be able to play position defense, keep you out of there, protect the glass. And then as we saw, and as we've seen every single year for the last four or five years, Jokic is not afraid of Ivica Zubats. That's an easy matchup for him. He likes that matchup. So if that's your plan to stop Jokic, Denver's going to score at a high clip. And I just think that Denver's defensive deficiencies are muted a little bit by the way that uh, the Clippers attack. They're a good team. I don't even think I think Denver rolls over them. I'm just saying they don't have the stylistic advantage over Denver like Golden State does. I also think what might benefit the Nuggets in the regular season specifically is like the top of the West, especially following whatever's going on with Draymond Green in the Warriors locker room now. Um, The Nuggets have their own injury concerns, but there's like – a lot of teams are just combustible where it's what if things don't work out with Gobert and Cat in Minnesota? The Lakers are fucking wild. Uh, you have the Clippers with their own injuries and they don't really have a center aside from Zubats unless you're super high on Moses Brown. And so even Nuggets, again, you have MPJ and Murray coming back, but because Jokic is like this stabilizing superstar that's always available, uh, it adds to, I mean, even the vibes coming out of Phoenix have been just been weird. I would phrase it that way. So 
Um, I think that ends up helping the Nuggets, maybe not so much in the postseason, but certainly when it comes to eating up innings and wins during the regular season. Yeah, I, I think you might be right about that. I think I think I'm with you. Uh, so my final question is, is there anything that I did not ask you about that you think needs to be discussed with regard to this team? You know, the, no, not really. I mean, they're interesting. The disaster potential is, is interesting. Like if, De- if it doesn't work out for Denver this year, you know, what kind of big cha- sweeping moves do you end up making? That would be an interesting one. Michael Malone, I think, finds himself on a hot seat this year. He's preached defense for seven years to various levels of his success. He's talked about needing better defensive players. If you get handled, handled, handed all of these defensive talents and all of these good offensive talents and your team underperforms, I think that this is a year that things segue for him and maybe the pressure gets added. So uh, I don't expect that to happen, but it's just one of those things where Malone is in a precarious spot that he has not been in in the last few years um, where now it's kind of like, hey, are you the guy to get us to this final step or not? And, and we'll see what happens. That's also, this is a cliche, might is just the easy, the easiest thing for them to change at this point, especially because I think you could say, well, what if they move Michael Porter Jr.? But if he's playing well enough to be this high-value trade asset, you probably don't want to move Michael Porter Jr. And if he's not... I, I disagree with that. If, if it's working out, but not to the level where you're confident that that mm-hmm. is the combination, but if it's working out well enough for you to trade, even for two, like a dollar for 250 cent pieces, I think Denver would do it. In part oh, wow. because I just think Denver's offense is good enough. Without Michael Porter, I think Denver's offense is good enough to win a championship. With, I, I with him, they, they become like un, un, unassailable. But the, the question is, can you win defensively with him? And we just don't know that. So if he's playing well enough that a lesser team, maybe like an Atlanta Hawks team says, hey, we want that superstar talent over here. We'll give you some of our perimeter defense. Then, then you know, a team like Denver, I think, would have to take it. I wonder if a Toronto would be willing, if he's playing well, would be willing to roll his ice on him. OG Ananobi? Yeah, OG Ananobi's there. They have Gary Trent Jr. too in his contract here would be a good fit as well. Both of those guys to me are great fits. I mean, Michael Porter is like a more exciting talent, right? He's more of a superstar. So we always just say, if you're a superstar, you're better than a role player. Not always true. Sometimes great role players are better than bad superstars or bad fit superstars. Yeah. Michael Porter, we're not sure if he's one of those two yet. He might be a great fit, great superstar, but at the moment, we're not sure. We know OG Ananobi's a great role player, and I think that Gary Trent Jr. is a sneaky good role player, especially for what Denver needs. So to me, those things aren't crazy. Adam, this was spectacular. Thank you so much for your time. The final thing I'll ask of you, because I know you're feeling under the weather, is in case anyone skipped the intro, can you tell everyone where they can find you and all the great work that you do? DNVR, um, our YouTube page is the best entry point if you're ever wondering. We do a post-game show for every single Nuggets game. Uh, we do podcasts, live podcasts on there. And then we have some cool videos. I do some X's and O's breakdowns as well on the Denver Nuggets. So um, DNVR's YouTube page. I'm also excited to check out that documentary trailer that you guys just dropped uh, before just dropped. we recorded this apparently. Yeah, so yeah. I'm excited for that. Thank you so much, Adam. And as you know, I will be pestering you again in the future. Can't wait.